Um, and I realized there's a there was a real disconnect for people who had been in corporate settings and worked in leadership or executive positions, but in very niche specialties where I had been in this full business administration. Um, and there was a disconnect between business development and marketing themselves and really being able to get in front of the client and show them the value of their work. Welcome to Company Profiles with Paul Chase, where we meet the people behind the companies that are changing the world. Today's video and podcast is sponsored by Paul Chase and AARE Real Estate Consultants. We help our clients create real estate wealth and well-being. Visit our website at parealestateresources.com. I want to welcome to Company Profiles, the founder, CEO, CFO's chief big shot of exactly Deisha Cooper. Deisha, welcome to this show. Thanks, Paul. Hey, Deisha, we've known each other for a little bit through the chamber, but for the two people in the world that don't know you yet, tell me a little bit about your background and you know, to introduce yourself to the, those two people that don't know you yet. <laughs> there might be a few more than two. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> uh, um, all right. So how far back do you want me to start, Paul? Like back Let's when start. I was a baby. No. <laughs> no, we don't need to go that far back. Let's go back to I'm I'm uh, let's go back to coming out of high school and I went to work for somebody yeah. and Yeah. Um, coming out of high school, um, I thought I was gonna go to college and become a neurosurgeon. Um I I was told my dad, like I graduated at 17, I was like, hey dad, I'm gonna go to college and be a neurosurgeon. My dad's like, where are you gonna get that money? <laughs> Um, and you know, I guess college debt was not a thing. And we'd also joined a church where college educations were looked down on and prohibited, especially for women. Um, that's a whole nother story for another day, believe me. <laughs> um, but my dad was a fabricator, machinist, um, foreman at a job shop and he quit his job and started a small business with me. Uh, so we started a little job shop uh, doing metal work and repairs uh, together. That was 2003. And I was always the tomboy already, you know, tinkering in the shed and fixing things. So it was very natural for me to go into that type of a business with him. And um, so we started out, you know, initially it was just my dad and I and some of my siblings would work. Uh, they were homeschooled. So after school hours, they'd come over to the shop and help us out. Um, yes, it was interesting being in a male dominated industry. Um, I remember one day as a teenager, um, we had pulled my dad's truck into the shop and I was changing the brakes on it. I was laying on my back under the truck um, and working under there. And one of his friends came in from the community. He's like, hey, David, do you have any employees yet? And he's like, yeah, my daughter is working with me. And he's like, your daughter? And my dad's like, uh, yeah, yeah, she, she does a good work or whatever. And I came out from underneath the truck and I just looked at him <laughs> and he looked at me and I was like, you know, did that little mean glare, like, how dare you <laughs> to my, you know, <laughs> talk like that to my dad. He just turned around and walked out of the shop. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting for sure. You know, I did, I did 18 years in the industry. Um, the first 11 with my dad, I did an acquisition in 2014 with two younger brothers. Um, at that point we had one, we brought one employee over with the acquisition, um, 
And I think I'm trying to think it was maybe four years. So I hired my first female uh, into our company, which is a big day for me to have another woman <laughs> on the shop floor. <laughs> But, you know, my my career journey was, you know, at that very beginning, I was the bookkeeper, the welder, you know, the handyman on the floor. Um, I ended, you know, running the business for my dad, acquiring it from him, being business administrator and CFO. I did seven years with my brothers um, until they were ready to take over the company and exited end of 2021. So that was the like couple hundred thousand journey to several million. Uh, we expanded into a specialty in the industrial services. So um, the company is now DCW Industrial Service. And we do, I still say we, even though technically I'm fully exited from the company and bought out, um, they, they do uh, electromechanical services up uh, cycling large industrial equipment, putting on new technology, controls, hydraulics, things like that, so that you don't have to recycle the full equipment back down mm -hmm. to, you know, melt it down. So you're using large components and putting new technology on it. Super cool business, very successful. We have clients in 40 states across the US. Um, so very proud of that journey. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, I can just imagine. Now, you told the story the other day that I find very intriguing because I, it answers a question that I hear a lot from people and that, what does it take to grow? If I added, yeah. I, I want to grow, to grow, I need an employee or two or six or 12 or whatever it is, but do I have the business to grow? And you told the story, I guess you are an Excel spreadsheet guru, grand master. <laughs> so- Tell me about that spreadsheet, because I found that story very interesting. And it's something, it's a scenario I hear a lot from other business owners. Yeah, I think you're talking about what I was explaining in the economies of scale spreadsheet. Um, Problem. Yeah. So for my business, what I did was I did a lot of forecasting. That's one of the things that helped us grow. Um, so I built out this, some would say fairly complex Excel spreadsheet that intercommunicated with each other, um, where I could design the next growth step for our company. So for at six employees, I can project how many hours they're going to work, what their billable percentage would be, how much it's going to cost me for their benefits, their vacation, all those things. Um, and at the, you know, at the bottom line, how much revenue we could generate uh, with that individual uh, then move that to the company projection. From there, we can build out different economies of scale where we can say like, okay, we have a manager right now. He has capacity to bring on and manage three more people, but his workload that he's doing himself is going to reduce from 50% to say he's going to go down to 10% billable. So we can change those percentages in the model as it um, as we like forecast it. Um and that way you can see like where your profitability margins are going to be for every single hire that you bring on as you scale a business. Now you could do this by batch too or different ways. But for me, because we're in that small under 20 employees size, um, I did it one by one. That also helped me know if I could justify bringing on a new hire. So I can put a training period in. Okay, it's going to take us four months till we can even start billing this person out. It's going to cost me this much up front. How much do I need to have in savings in order to justify a new hire, especially if they're like an intern or a student uh, hire, things like that. Now, did that help you 
you know, if you went to the bank and said, okay, based off of these projections in our current business plan, and we have this, this kind of history, did that help you get money for expansion? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you can show the bank like, okay, I want to hire these people. I need this much more equipment. And in uh, manufacturing or in heavier industrial settings, it's not like we're just getting another computer. Say we're getting another $100,000 piece of equipment or $200,000 piece of equipment, whatever it is. It costs a lot to bring in equipment for these people to um, operate. So this helps us with cost justification to funding sources. That's great. It's something that as a small business owner, I probably have to start thinking about doing, uh, but I've been on my own and I'm a, so, still a, somewhat of a control freak. But I think that <laughs> makes a good segue into you are a fractional CFO. So I know what a chief, I've got a better understanding of what a chief financial officer does, but what does a fractional CFO do? Yeah. So fractional simply means that I divide my time between multiple small businesses rather than being full-time for any one company. Uh, the CFO piece, I am an operational CFO and there's like 10 different varieties of CFOs. So an operational CFO like myself is a focus on finance and operations and the connection between the two. So I work in revenue generation, increasing profitability, expense reduction, those types of activities, um, and really focused on the growth of a company when it comes to scaling up and growing to the next size. So I work very closely between optimizing, optimizing operations and the way that impacts the finances. Yes, I get into some things like... Um, tax reduction or um, best you know, strategy, how are we going to run our depreciations, work with a CPA or a tax accountant, things like that. But a lot of what I do is in revenue, profitability, um, and on the hands-on side of making a company financially sound. I also know that you have a passion for small business. Is that a reflection of your upbringing and your background or as opposed to going to work for a company that can hire you full time? I would say so. Yes. You know, growing, you know, I, I grew up in small business and starting my dad's business with him at 17 wasn't our first family business. I started working in my mom's bakery when I was 11. So, <laughs> yeah, no you joke. Weren't, I would, you you no weren't joke. eating the profits, were you? All the cookies and all of that, you know. You know, I grew up, <laughs> I, would, I would not cry if we accidentally broke something and had to eat it. <laughs> I, I love chocolate cake. Um, but yeah, it was, I was the 11 year old that would get up at 5 a.m. to start the bread. Um, so, you know, I've always been in the small business environment that hustling to make ends meet. Um, I'm second oldest of 10 kids. So there was a lot of making ends meet growing up. And being in the small business culture uh, is very, very different than corporate culture. There's a real connection um, between Kelly, you, you know, it's right. don't work, you don't eat. And a lot of people don't necessarily see that if you work on a corporate structure, there's a lot bigger margins for error than when you're in a small business and you have to be extremely strategic about every move that you make. Gotcha. So I know as your experiences through CF, uh, being a CFO and a fractional CFO, tell me about how that morphed into Exactly and what you do. You know, tell me about Exactly what you do now, yep. what Exactly does. All that good fun stuff. Who's it targeted for? 
<laughs> um, what problems does it solve? I know there's about six questions in there, but that's okay. That's okay. I'll tell you the story. I'm a storyteller, so you just have to. Awesome. Uh, go um, for it. <laughs> when I exited DCW after almost 20 years, and that was the end of 2021, um, I took a sabbatical and came back to work May of 2022. So that was just like a year and a half ago. Initially, I joined an advising firm because I thought I'm going to do consulting, like just help small businesses, give them advice. Um, I did that for six months and pretty quick within the first three months, I realized that I was giving good advice to my clients, but they didn't have the skill or the time to take my advice. And there was a significant learning curve for them to even um, learn how to do the things that I was telling them to do. So I started implementing the strategy that I was giving them while I was working for the advisory firm. Now, the advisory firm was strictly an advisory firm. So I exited in November last year and went into freelance work where I could act as a fractional executive and not just as an advisor. Um, once I got into the fractional space, I was networking and realizing there's thousands of fractional executives and it's in a completely emerging market, especially since COVID with a lot of white collar layoffs. There's a lot of people moving from full-time executive jobs into this fractional world. And a lot of them were coming to me and saying, Hey, you're doing great. You just started. Like, can you send me leads? Can you help me get clients myself? Um, and I realized there's a, there was a real disconnect for people who had been in corporate settings and worked in leadership or executive positions, but in very niche specialties where I had been in this full business administration. Um, and there was a disconnect between business development and marketing themselves and really being able to get in front of the client and show them the value of their work. So I launched Executly in February, and that's a, fraction, a freelance collective. So it brings together this talent pool of fractional executives and helps match them to small businesses who need their services. So we just launched a job board in September. So there's a tech platform now. Small business can come in, put up a job, set a description, set a budget, set how many hours a week or a month they need them. And then it goes out to the talent pool and we find the best match for them and get them working together. So that's how it works. Very high level. I told you that. I mean, there's a lot of nuts and bolts to it. <laughs> no, I, no, it, it sounds like and you said that you're like an operational CFO. So is it possible that, you know, somebody types in the keywords or there's a, a broad job description, somebody says, okay, I need an op uh, an operational CFO versus, uh, uh, you know, a tax and financial. I, and I'm like way auditor, out of my, something like yeah, that. And, and, yeah, I'm way out of my element here. So, you know, help me, help to ask my question for me, would you? Yeah. Um, right. As far as like the tech platform, we don't have enough opportunities on there yet that we are filtering down that far. Okay. There's, in the future, we'll probably add more like tags and filter options and things like that. Um, right now, the way it works is that we put up, we create the job description, put in the qualifiers and it goes out to the talent pool and they self-qualify because we say, here's what we're looking for. Do you have this experience in this specialty? Um, and if they do, then they apply for the position. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So who are you targeting as far as either, well, either, either side of that equation, as far as the businesses that are looking for a fractional 
And is it just CFOs or is it other fractional executives? And so who is your customer that side and who are you looking for on the fractional executive side? Again, yeah, there's, about so, six, there's six questions yeah. in there, I right know. <laughs> you like the groups of six questions. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not simple questions. They're complex and you can take them in six different directions. Now let me explain. Um, so from that perspective, where we're seeing, you know, observing the market of as far as who is utilizing fractional executives when it comes to finance and operations. So like the space that I'm in or other finance and operations people, they're really in the one to five million range, like where they the owner operator has gotten to a point where their workload is too heavy, they need some more strategy or strategic pieces put in and implemented, but they're not ready to take on the burden of full-time salary. Plus they're not necessarily ready um, to give someone 40 hours a week. So it makes sense for them to bring on a fractional. Um, and that could start as early as like maybe half a million as well, depending on the industry and many different factors. Um, so for finance and oper operations, it's that half to 5 million range. Now on the fractional executive side, there are so many different fractional executives. There's everything from finance to technology, to information, marketing, you know, it's all over the place. So, you know, fractional marketing officers tend to be when the company's getting over 5 million because they're using like outside consultants for marketing until then. They're not gonna necessarily bring somebody in a couple hours a week just for marketing strategy. So we're not necessarily seeing a demand for marketing until the company's a little larger. So it really varies by the specialty, I would say, by the demand. As far as exactly is concerned, we're focusing on the 5 million and under market right now. Not that gotcha. we won't take someone, we have all kinds of talent in the talent pool. There's we're tapping uh, several communities that combined about 4,000 uh, fractional executives of every specialty in the US and several other countries as well. Um, so there's a lot of talent access. Um, but as far as like my direct outreach, that's going out to those under 5 million companies who are in that leadership transition and starting to be like, okay, we wanna scale this company. We need to start putting together a leadership team. Gotcha. You know, it's kind of interesting as an aside, I was doing some networking and I met a fractional AI officer mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, I barely understand AI. Now we're going to fractionalize AI. And he went to great lengths and I was just amazed at some of the stuff that they were doing with AI oh, yeah. beyond, beyond chat GPT and BARD and all of that stuff. So I'm really kind of looking forward to see how that happens. And I hope you're prepared because everything I'm seeing says the tidal wave is coming. Oh, yeah. I have an AI consultant already. Oh, um, I should have yeah. known <laughs> you, you'd be there. We're, we're utilizing AI. Executly is util, utilizing AI already um, on multiple platforms. You know, we're definitely using I, I'm very tech forward. So where we can use technology and AI, I'm using it. Great. Hey, sir, I appreciate your time. Real quickly, how do people find you or get hold of you? Well, I'm the only Disha Cooper on LinkedIn. So 
it's very easy to find me there. And, uh, and, and honestly, I think I'm the only Deja Cooper. So if you Google me, you'll find all of my handles <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but my, my email's easy, Deja at execuly.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me is by email. Gotcha. Great. Adisha, again, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much and look forward to seeing you at the next Chamber event. Thanks, Paul. And we stop recording.